I'm Jay Familietti, and the name of this podcast is Let's Talk About Water. But today, let's talk about the absence of water and the severe problems that poses for millions of our fellow human beings. I've researched California's dryness for much of the last 15 years, including the increasing severity of drought and the disappearance of groundwater and of the snowpack. The long-term prognosis is not good. And that drying certainly underpins what we believe will be increasingly severe fire seasons in Western North America. Like a lot of other people, I've been riveted by the coverage of the absolutely terrible wildfires burning up and down on the West Coast of the United States. It's been especially painful for me to watch all the death and destruction because my wife and I are former Californians. We've worked, lived, and played there. We raised our kids there. We were part of the community there. A lot of the fire swept places you've heard mentioned on the news are places that I know of, that I have visited, and in many cases where we still have family and friends, including our son and daughter who live and work there. This is no abstraction for me. It is very real. It's also kind of eerie because when I moved to Canada a few years ago, it was yet another super severe fire season. En route to Canada, we drove straight up the I-5 through the center of California, literally right through the massive car fire of 2018. The air was thick with smoke and the temperature was a sizzling 118 degrees Fahrenheit. So flames figure quite strongly in my last memories of my former home state. All that is back again, but it's looking to be bigger and badder this season. By the way, we're getting some of that smoke from the mega fires all the way up to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where I live now. And we know from the news that the smoke has made it all the way to Europe. So this is becoming a global problem. Our first guest today is my colleague, my dear friend, and my former neighbor, climate and El Nino expert, and former NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory climatologist, Dr. Bill Patzer. Bill has been studying climate and climate extremes including how they interact with water, for decades. In addition to his illustrious scientific career, Bill is a renowned science communicator who is routinely sought for interviews by major media outlets around the world. Dr. Bill Patzer joins us today from Sierra Madre, California. Bill, it's great to talk with you, my friend. Yeah, hello, Jay, uh, from smoky Sierra Madre, your former hometown. Yeah, we're under siege here, not only in Sierra Madre, but up and down the state of California, we're having a record-breaking, uh, painful fire year here. Um, so uh, what's the situation like right there along the Front Range, right there along uh, Sierra Madre? And you have seen various things about Monrovia and Arcadia bits uh, being evacuated. What's, what's happening? Well, like most fires in California. Th this one was probably human started and uh, it's been so dry. You know, August was one continuous heat wave and we haven't had rain here for months. And so once it started, it uh, exploded. So right, right now it's about 50,000 square acres up above Sierra Madre, right along the boundary of Sierra Madre as you know, which is right against the San Gabriel Mountains. These are very rugged. These are the kinds of fires that you actually can't fight them on the ground. 
So here it's aerial firefighting. And the effort here is mostly to been to save lives and structures, essentially save the town. All right. right. Yeah. But, I uh, think, you know, it's hard. We might want to put some pictures uh, up on our, on our website, but I always felt like Sierra Madre in particular in Monrovia, and, uh, you know, they're so quaint. And part of the reason they're quaint is that there are these old craftsmen wooden houses, right? Uh, and they uh, creep up into the hills and they get, too darn close to where the fires are and i always felt like and if uh, a fire blows down here that's like the town is just going to go up in flames well you know uh, californians like to live risky uh here in california we have uh sierra nevada mountains locally the san gabriel mountains and they interface through wildlands into all these communities in southern california and uh you know, in contrast with Saskatchewan, where, uh, you know, the uh, total population is one million. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sparse. Yeah, we're here, here in California, all right, smaller than you are, with 40 million people. And so we've moved into areas that historically has always burned. We like risky living here in California. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, and um, uh, you know the earthquakes uh, are are part of that, and and sea level rise. Those are all those are all part of it. I feel like uh, many people in California, and you know, at some point in time, my my family included, uh, you're willing to take that risk for the uh, for the great lifestyle, the beautiful weather. But you know, things are changing. And I mean, do you feel like in your uh, uh, lifetime, I mean, you're clearly a young man, Bill, but I mean, in your, <laughs> uh, you know, over your lifetime, just anecdotally, do you think the fires are getting worse? I mean, you, you know, you've been up at JPL for a long time, and it's, it's pretty hot up there. Do you sense any of this change personally? Well, you know, uh, like you, Jay, uh, I spent the last uh, 40 to 50 years actually measuring all this. And, and so there is no doubt, this is the most extensive fire season we've ever had in California. The most extensive, right? Yeah, and that's saying it's, something because there have been some bad ones. Yeah, and, and so at, at this point, uh, you know, it's 3.4 million acres on fire in Southern California. Not only Southern California, it also goes into Oregon, Washington. And so the whole West Coast is aflame. Uh, you know, part of that is uh, some freak meteorology, all right? But right. really, when you, when you look at it, you know, fire is simple. It's fuel plus meteorology plus ignition. Right. 95% of the fires are accidentally or intentionally human caused. A new element, of course, in the equation, and that is climate change. California is getting warmer and drier, right? The state is heating up. And in all these areas where you have the urban wildland interface, we've created our own heat. You know, Southern California is a 20 million population megalopolis and whereas global warming has only been a couple of degrees fahrenheit the average in the greater los angeles area is six to eight degrees warmer than it was a century ago that's amazing yeah and of course rainfall patterns have shifted dramatically 
the rainfall season comes later or leaves earlier. So it's a longer dry season. Right. And a shorter snow season, a shorter wet season. Exactly. And so this has had a tremendous effect on the ecologies of the great forest and the search for affordable housing. We've dramatically spread out all over California rather than building up. And so this is a, makes for an incendiary situation. In the last 22 years in Southern California, 15 have had below average rainfall. And so we're in a multi-decadal drought, which is not unusual for California, by the way. We had the hottest August in the history of Southern California last month, and uh, it just dried everything out. And so the whole state was dried out and what I call desiccated. And we had this freak meteorological event of uh, uh, a tropical hurricane from the Eastern Pacific that actually broke apart and caused a disturbance in the upper atmosphere. And so we had millions of dry lightning strikes, which started most of those Northern California oh, fires. Right. So that was a freak occurrence. Yep. But that goes back to fuel plus meteorology yep. plus ignition. So uh, my last question for you, Bill, you know, you're, um, uh, you know, you're an institution in Southern California, well, all over the, all over the country, really. But I mean, you've been in Sierra Madre, you've been in that area in Southern California for a long time, right? You went, were at Scripps for a long time in San Diego. Have you ever thought about getting the hell out of Dodge? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question, because I've been retired for two and a half years now. But I've still given more interviews and done more consulting work than anybody that's presently working at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So I don't know if I'm actually retired, you know, but, uh, but I leave LA. You know, I love LA, Jay, mostly because my mortgage is paid for, all right? But it's an interesting <laughs> place, you know? It has such a multicultural mix. And uh, I have to say one thing, even with the smoke, Arcadia, Temple City, all right? It's got the best food in the world, all right? Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese, Armenian, all right? And so, uh, plus, uh, you know, uh, I'm an old surfer, you know, so I don't want to get too far away from the ocean. Okay, well, listen, Bill, thanks so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to sometime in the near future. We can sit outside Mother Moose in Sierra Madre, California, and have an ice cream together. Yeah, so great seeing you, Jay. And you too. Uh, I wish thanks. we could see each other in person. Uh, well, you know, uh, eventually, you know. Bill Patzard is a climate expert, NASA JPL's former climatologist, and my dear friend, who once referred to my daughter as a younger, more attractive version of me. We've talked about the role climate and weather have played in this disaster with my old friend, Bill. Now, let's go straight into the flames, metaphorically speaking, by talking to a fire expert. Crystal Colden is a pyrogeographer at the University of California, Merced, who studies the past, present, and future of wildfires. So you could say, as unfortunate as it may be for ordinary folks, Crystal is in her element this month in California. 
Thanks so much for joining us, Crystal. Thank you for having me. How close have you gotten to these fires? Where are you now? Are you in Merced right now? I am actually in Fresno, uh, and I am about, oh, 40, 50 kilometers from the nearest wildfire, which is the Creek Fire burning in the Sierra National Forest um, south of Yosemite National Park. So we're, we're close enough to uh, be inundated with smoke and hear some of the helicopters and planes flying overhead, but far enough to not be in any danger. We've been monitoring it pretty closely, though. There's uh, quite a few scientific experiments that are actually in either in the way of the fire or have already been burned. Um, and so for a fire scientist, we're sort of watching a lot of these fires very closely, including the one that's close to where I'm at, because it's an opportunity for us to ask new and interesting science questions as these areas burn. So what kind of questions do you ask? So a lot of what we don't really understand about fire has to do with uh, sort of the fine scale stuff. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have we have a decent idea of why fires start where they do, um, how they burn over large areas and, and what some of the drivers are. Uh, that determine how big these fires are are going to get and sort of where they're going to go, um, what fuels they burn in, and and which which direction they move across the landscape. But the things that we don't know are sort of those things that are are the minutia. Uh, we don't actually even know how trees die from being burned at this wow. point, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. We should know yeah. how, how a tree dies yeah. after being burned, but but we don't. Um, and and so a lot of the things that we are still trying to work on, and, and when we see a fire burn an area that has been under scientific study and that we have a really good understanding of how ecosystem and and hydrologic processes and earth processes are working on that site. Um, when it burns, we're very keen to get in quickly after a fire burns through and, and sort of study it closely. Okay, I want to switch to talk a little bit about uh, large scale fire management and maybe how fire uh, management policy uh, may be changing or or should or should change. Yeah. So when you look at uh, say the the forests in the in the western u.s or in you know the northern part of the uh of the united states or you know even up yeah. here the boreal forests uh in canada around the world what sort of things are we not doing let's just focus on the on the u.s i mean what sort of things are we not doing that we should be doing yeah so you know one of the key things that uh we talk about a lot from a science communication perspective that is applicable uh, from the Western U.S., but all the way up into uh, B.C. Uh, and to some extent in Alberta as well, um, is that throughout Western North America, uh, we have what are basically considered dry pine forests, right? So so these are forests uh, that are um adapted to fire. Uh, for centuries, they had uh, fairly frequent low-intensity fires 
that were started either by lightning, regular frequent lightning, uh, or by the indigenous populations. Um, that would essentially, you know, every few years, uh, light off a fire and you would clear out the understory in these forests. Uh, and for indigenous people, they did this for cultural reasons, trying to promote certain plants um, or to keep a, a trail clear, things like that. Right? Uh, lightning areas, of course, there's an enormous amount of uh, dry lightning in, in Western Canada along the Rockies um, and in the Okanagan Valley. And so that regular fire kept those forests uh, relatively free of a lot of that understory vegetation, right? Um, Many of these forests uh, are essentially overstocked, right? They have a buildup of too many trees. Um, their density is really high and they have become in many ways unhealthy. Um, and that same high density of trees actually also makes them really susceptible to things like uh, bark beetle infestations, uh, which of course, uh, Western North America, including Western Canada, has seen an enormous amount of uh, tree mortality from bark beetle infestations. Um, and during droughts, those trees are competing for a very finite amount of soil water. And so you have tree mortality associated with drought. Uh, conditions, all of this ends up producing forests where there's a heck of a lot of fuel and there hasn't been enough fire. And so when wildfires happen, that's when we see these massive conflagrations uh, in forests that were not adapted to that incredibly high intensity fire. In a lot of Western North America, uh, the sort of big science push right now is towards this combination of uh, removing a lot of that dense understory through uh, so, some type of thinning, and it's predominantly understory thinning, taking out small trees, not not the big logging operations as much, um, and then reintroducing over multiple episodes uh, prescribed fire into these systems so that they can be returned to the historical ecological processes that maintain them for centuries um, and so that we can reduce a lot of that wildfire risk. The challenge in the western U.S. is that um, of course all of this forest management and the problems with the ways that we have managed forests and suppressed fire for a century um, that is contributing to wildfire increasing wildfire risk and sort of larger um, more destructive wildfires but then there's also climate change, right? And, and of course, the science is very clear that climate change is amplifying all those things. It is what we call the threat multiplier, right? So if there was no anthropogenic climate change and it was just forest management, yeah, we might see some more active and more intense fires and some bigger fires, right? Um, and if there had been no forest management whatsoever that produces this problem, we would absolutely still be seeing bigger fires. And we're seeing these in, in the boreal forests, which have not, you know, particularly in the far north, where, where they, those forests have not been managed or, or fire suppressed really. Um, and we're seeing bigger fires up there, right, in the Arctic. Uh, so that is 100% climate change, right? And and so in, in Western North America and in the Western US in particular, we've got both of those things, uh, plus a whole heck of a lot of people that now live in the Western US and are building 
you know, homes and communities further and further into sort of these areas that were, were once sort of wildlands, right? Um, and, and all of those things together end up producing the complex problem, what, what a colleague of mine once called the wicked problem of wildfire. So this goes beyond the sweeping of the forest that President (laughs) Trump... uh, uh, So, I mean, we need more than like 50 people with brooms. The complexity scares people. It particularly scares politicians who want single silver bullet solutions, right? Um, And so for a president whose uh, entire um, political existence has has been about one-liners. It's not a surprise that uh, that he would embrace something as like, well, if we just rake the forest, it'll all be fine. It, you know, I was a firefighter myself. Uh, the tool of choice as a firefighter was a rake. It's a tool we call a McLeod, um, and it's a sort of a modified rake, right? So. For me to say that uh, there's no raking involved would be false because, of course, we use rakes to, you know, to, to try and do fire management. Um, but it's so much bigger and more complex than that. And if we're going to address the welfare problem, we have to acknowledge that complexity, acknowledge that climate change is a big piece of it, um, and that it is only going to continue changing as we see more and more of the effects of climate change, um, and that forest management is is also a piece of that that is incredibly complex. Well, um, uh, Crystal, I am not uh, surprised <laughs> that you have found yourself as a uh, uh, professor because uh, you're a natural uh, teacher, and I've learned so much today. Uh, Crystal Colden is a pyrogeographer at the University of California, Merced, uh, she's speaking with us today from Fresno, California. Thank you so much, Thank you Crystal. so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We've heard from two experts about how climate and the wildfires are intimately intertwined. But to give us a true picture of how ferocious the bobcat fires are in L.A., Haley Smith joins me from the Highland Park area of L.A. to talk about the direct effects the fires are having on the community. Haley reports on breaking news for the Los Angeles Times. I have like the froggiest throat right now because of this, this air quality here is just terrible. Okay, so we need to talk about that because I think it's really hard for people who are, you know, east of the west to really understand. Although we did get, you know, we do get some of that smoke up here. It is not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And people like, you know, can't really can't really visualize it, can't really, you know, they don't understand the experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, residents have been talking to us for several days about the kind of uh, mesquite-like smell in mm. the air. It smells like a barbecue or a campfire here. Um, the sky is kind of white and powdery and hazy, so um, it looks bad and it smells bad. So definitely not ideal here. So the fire started burning on uh, September 6th, and it's been growing pretty steadily every day since then. Um, <clears throat> it is primarily within the confines of Angeles National Forest, which is a good thing in the sense that it's not totally creeping up into neighborhoods and places where people live, but it's a bad thing because it's creating a ton of smoke, a ton of poor air, and it is threatening those foothill communities, including uh, Sierra Madre, which you just mentioned, um, that are sort of at the base of that national forest. Do you live uh, away from the fires? 
I live um, actually right next to Pasadena in a neighborhood called Highland Park. So sure. I'm not in an evacuation uh, notice zone, but I'm right on the border of it. So I'm getting bad air quality and smoke here for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit more about what people experience. I know from my uh, experience for you know almost 18 years in Southern California, um, and especially the last four when I lived there living in Sierra Madre, uh, when the fires are bad, there's nowhere to go. I mean, you know, unless you evacuate, but if you're staying in town, if you have nowhere to go, if it's a, you know, the sort of like the current COVID conditions, people can't really move around. What is it like? What are people experiencing in terms of smoke and heat and, and air quality and so on? Yeah, well, smoke and heat and air quality are kind of the three biggest things. Um, you know, from a heat perspective, August was the hottest August in California on record, and that contributed to a lot of this sort of dried vegetation that's really fueling these fires. Um, and then from a smoke perspective, we are, I believe, on our 11th straight day of uh, smoke advisories. Our air quality is hovering in the unhealthy to very unhealthy range. So um, all the guidance from experts on, in, on the air quality front are saying, stay indoors, keep your, you know, your doors closed, your windows closed. Um, but that's creating kind of a psychological challenge for people who already felt really confined from the COVID-19 restrictions and now can't even go for a walk or a hike or a bike ride or any of the things that were kind of providing some respite from the pandemic. You know, the other day I decided to brave the outside for a little while with my dog because she was going kind of stir crazy. So I masked up and I suited up as best I could. And I went to the closest park and um, I saw this group of kids. There was a play set, you know, like the swings and the slide. And it had caution tape all around it because it had been closed off for the pandemic. And the kids were playing, you know, around the caution tape under a very brown ugly sky and the, the sun was kind of orange filtered through this haze and it was just a really sad scene and my heart kind of went out to those so it's a right. massive massive plume of smoke thanks so much for joining us today Haley. really appreciate yeah. all the insights you've given us into the experience on the ground absolutely stay safe guys Haley smith is a reporter with the los angeles times who has been covering the bobcat fires in la that was my head. No. <laughs> Are you video? That's the sound of me, my family, and the townspeople building a snowman last Christmas in my old hometown of Sierra Madre, California, near Pasadena. Yeah, that's right, a snowman in Southern California. It's not easy to get the raw materials, but it's a local tradition that every December, somebody gets a load of snow from high up in the nearby San Gabriel Mountains and brings it to Sierra Madre so that the locals can build the community snowman. A happier time for sure. But now there's fire in those mountains and it's been burning close to Sierra Madre too. Things have let up a bit now, but the town was under an evacuation warning just a few days ago and the Bobcat fire just northeast of the community, is still out there, burning and menacing. When I think about this, lots of things come to mind. Like wondering, in addition to the risk of fire, is climate change moving so fast? Will those mountaintops in the San Gabriel Range be free of snow year-round? And will a beloved Christmas tradition be over in Sierra Madre forever? 
So you can take it from me and the rest of us here at Let's Talk About Water. Climate change is real, and the effects are coming at us fast. Today, it's the U.S. West Coast and the Gulf Coast. It's going to be somewhere else, perhaps someplace close to you in the not-too-distant future. been listening to Let's Talk About Water in our special edition, Let's Talk About the Absence of Water in the Fire-Stricken Western United States. It's a presentation of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. If you want to hear more, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook at Let's Talk About Water Podcast or on Twitter at LTAW Podcast. Thanks to our guests this week, Bill Patzer, Crystal Colden, and Haley Smith. Thank you to all of those who helped put the show together, including Mark Ferguson, Laura McFarlane, Amy Hergut, Jesse Widow, our producer, Sean Perpick, and as always, Linda Lilienfeld. Thanks also to the Walrus Lab. I'm Jay Familietti. Be sure to listen again when we're back in two weeks. A reminder, if you set an alert on your phone or other digital device, you'll never miss another episode. Please review us. Give us a thumbs up if you like the show. That helps move us up the podcast charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. And your comments are always welcome. See you again next time.